Part 2, Chapter 4 of Non-Combatants and Others by Rose Macaulay. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anthony Ogus. Saturday morning at Violette. Alex rode from South Kensington to Clapton in the warm mid-June night on the last bus. She had been at a birthday party in Margareta Terrace, S.W., bus too took her to the strand end of chancery lane here she left her companion who had rooms in clifford's inn and walked up chancery lane to holborn and got the last stamford hill bus and rushed up gray's inn road and then into the ugly clamorous squalor of theobald's road clerkenwell and old street the darkness hid the squalor and the dull sordidness of the long straight stretch of kingsland road through the night came only the flare of the street booths and the screaming of the very poor who never seemed too tired to scream. At Stamford Hill Alex got off and walked down Upper Clapton Road, which was quiet and dark, with lime trees. Alex softly whistled a tune that someone had played on a violin tonight at Audrey Hillier's party. The party and the music and the students' talk of art school shop, and the childish absurd jokes, and the chocolates and cigarettes, she had eaten eighteen and smoked five, were like a stimulating, soothing drug. A policeman at the corner of Spring Hill flashed his light over her and lit her up for a moment, hatless, cloaked, whistling softly, limping on a stick, with her queer narrow eyes and white face. She turned down Spring Hill, which is an inclined road running along the northern end of Springfield Park, down to the River Lee. It is a civilised and polite road, though its dwellings have not the dignified opulence of the houses round the common. Alex stopped at Violette and let herself softly in with her latch-key. Violette was silent and warm. The gas in the tiny hall was turned low. The door ajar on the right showed a room also dimly lit, with a saucepan of milk ready to heat on the gas ring, and a plate of Albert biscuits, and a sense of recent occupation. It is very clear in an empty room by night what sort of people have sat and talked and occupied themselves in it by day. Their thoughts and words lie about, with their books and sewing. There are also in this room crochet doilies on the chairs and tables, a large photograph of a stout and heavily moustached gentleman above the piano, Mr. Tucker, a small photograph of a thin and shaven and scholarly gentleman over the writing table, Professor Frampton, some marker stones, landseers and other reproductions round the walls. Two bright blue vases on the chimney-piece, containing some yellow flowers of the kind that age cannot wither, dry, rustling and immortal, thou seest me, illuminated in pink and gold letters, circling the picture of a monstrous eye, an indubitably true remark, for no inhabitant of the room could fail to see it, and the evening thrill and the lover's heritage, Mrs. Blankley's latest novel, lying on the table. Alex sat on the table and smoked another cigarette. She always smoked far too many. 
She was pale, with heavy, sleep-shadowed eyes. She had talked and smoked and been funny all the evening. One o'clock struck. Alex turned out the gas and went up to bed quietly, lest she should disturb the family. She crept into the bedroom she shared with Evie and undressed by the light that came in through the half-curtained window from the darkened lamps in the street. The faint light showed Evie, asleep in her lovely grace, the grace of some lithe, young, wild animal. Alex never tired of absorbing the various aspects of this lovely grace. She got into bed and curled herself up. Between the half-drawn window curtains she could see the tops of the park trees waving and fluttering their boughs in a dark sky where clouds drove across the waning moon. Footsteps beat in the road outside, came near, passed and died. The policeman trod and retrod his allotted sphere, guarding Violette while it drifted drowsily into the summer dawn, which broke through light, whispering rain. Alex dreamed. In Flanders the rain sloped down onto men standing too in slippery trenches, yawning, shivering, listening. 2. Evie pulled back the curtain and the yellow day broke into Alex's dreams and opened her sleepy eyes. She yawned, her thin arms, like a child's arms, stretched above her head. Oh, Evie, said Alex, can't be morning, is it? Not half, said Evie, collecting her sponges and towels for her bath. It's last night still. Whatever time did you get back, child? Evie was a year younger than Alex, but more experienced, in her pink kimono dressing gown, with her long brown plait down her back, and her face softly flushed from the pillow. She looked like the blossom a hazelnut might have had, had it been so arranged. Twelve, one, two, don't know. Alex yawned and pulled the bedclothes tight under her chin. Think I was too tipsy to notice. Evie, coming back from the bathroom, woke her again. She lay and watched, between sleepy lids, Evie dressing. Drowsily she thought how awfully, awfully pretty Evie was. Evie was lithe and long-limbed, with sudden swift grace of movement like a kitten's or a young panther's. She had a face pink and brown, fine in contour and prettily squared at the jaw, eyes wide and dark, and set far apart under level brows and dimples. Of the Violette household, Evie alone had charm. Except on Saturdays and Sundays, she trimmed hats at a very superior and artistic establishment in Bond Street. There was a certain adequacy about Evie. She did but little here below, but did that little well. Alex sat up in bed, one dark plait hanging on either side of her small pale face, her sharp chin resting on her knees. "'I must do it some time, mustn't I?' she said, and did it forthwith, tumbling out of bed and staggering across to the washstand for her sponge and towel. She dropped and drowned her dreams in her cold bath and came back cool and indifferent.' Through the open window the summer morning blew upon her merrily. It was windy, careless, friendly, full of light and laughter. 
3. In the dining-room when Alex came down were Mrs. Frampton, who was small, trim, fifty-three, and reading a four-page letter, Kate, who was inconspicuous, neat, twenty-nine, and making tea, and Evie, who has already been described, and was perusing two apparently amusing letters. Mrs. Frampton looked up from her letter to say, "'Good morning, dear. You came home with the milk this morning. I can see by those dark saucers.' You ought to have stayed in bed and had some breakfast there. Mrs. Frampton was very kind. She also was very early in going to bed. Anything after midnight was to her with the milk. Kate said, having made the tea and turned out the gas ring, We're all late this morning. If we don't commence breakfast quick, I shall never get through my day. They stood round the table. Mrs. Frampton said, For what we're about to receive. And Kate said, some bacon, mother? A small helping only, love. Such a nice long letter from Aunt Nellie. Fred and Maudie have been staying with her for the weekend, and the baby's tooth begins to get through. Aunt Nellie's rheumatism is no better, though, and she thinks of Harrogate next month. Do you hear that, Kate? Kate was critically examining a plate. Egg left on it again. If I've spoken to Florence once, I've done so fifty times about egg on plates. I'd better ring for her and speak at once, hadn't I, mother? She'll never learn otherwise. Do, love. Kate rang. Florence came, and Kate said, Florence, there's egg on this plate again. Take it away, and bring another, and recollect what I told you about soda. Oh, dear me, dear me, said Mrs. Frampton, who had opened the paper. Just listen to this. One of those zeppelins came again last night and dropped bombs on the east coast, killing sixteen and injuring forty. Now isn't that wicked? Babies in the cradle formed a large proportion of the fatalities, as usual. Poor little loves. You'd think those men would be ashamed, with all the civilised world calling them baby killers last time. They're just inhuman murderers, said Kate absently. I expect they're dead to shame by now. This bacon is somewhat less streaky than the last. We must speak to Edwards about it again. I shall tell him we shall really have to deal with Perkins if he can't do better for us. Another slice, Evie. Some more toast, love, Mrs. Frampton suggested to Alex, and a little preserve. You don't eat properly, Alex. You'll never grow strong and big and rosy. Kate, this tea isn't so nice as the last. A touch raspier, it seems. What do you think? I prefer it, mother. It has somewhat more taste, but if you think it's too strong... No, love, I expect you're right. Is it the one and ninepenny? One and eight. Evie giggled over her correspondence. And who have you heard from, Evie? asked her mother, looking indulgently at her pretty younger daughter. Floss Vinnie, for one. She's got some more blouse patterns and wants me to go round again and help her choose. There's one a perfect treat she was thinking of last week. She thinks it'll make up to suit her, but it won't a bit. It's fussy, and she's too fussy already with that frizzy hair. It would suit me nicely, or you, Alex, but it'll smother Floss. I told her so, but she wouldn't believe me. She thinks Vin will like her in it, but I bet he doesn't. Of course, you never can say what a man will like. They're so funny. Oh, dear, they are comic. Evie gurgled over some private experiences of her own. 
she did not lack them floss usually looks very nice in her clothes said kate with delicate heroism because for reasons she disliked to think so alex hearing her passed her the jam preserve violette called it impulsively without being asked and as a matter of fact kate eating bacon did not want it mrs frampton moved doubtless by some sequence of thought known to herself said they say those belgians in the corner house eat ten pounds of cheese each week edward's boy told florence just fancy that not the one grudges them anything poor things kate said mr allison the vicar of the church she attended says those corner belgians have been very troublesome indeed lately They've all quarrelled among themselves, and all but the wounded young man and his mother think the wounded young man is well enough to go to the front now, and he will slam the doors so, and two new ones have come, so they're packed as tight as herrings, but they say Belgians always will overcrowd, and the one that lost her baby on the journey has found it again, and the others aren't pleased because it cries at nights, and they all say they don't get enough to eat. The vicar's had no end of bother with them. And now two of them say they won't stay here. They'll go off to Hull, where Belgians aren't allowed. The vicar reasoned with them ever so long, but they will go. They say they have uncles there. I'm sure it's very wrong if they have. It does seem mad, doesn't it? The lack of discipline among this unhappy people, she meant, rather than the uncles at Hull. Mrs. Frampton said, To think of them behaving like that, after all they've been through. She scanned the paper again, having finished her small breakfast. "'Here's a German in Tottenham Court Road strangled himself with his window cord. Ashamed of his country. Well, who can blame him? We must leave that to his maker. Now listen to this. Lord Harwood says Arrogate is a nest of spies. Quite full of German wives, it is. Fancy. And Aunt Nelly going to take the baths there next month. Lowestoft, too.' and Clacton on sea. I'm sure I shall never want to visit any of those East Coast places again. You never know whom to trust, not to mention all these airships coming and being put into jail if you forget to pull the blinds and having your dog confiscated if he runs out by night. Girl robbed her grandmother. She spent it all on dress, too. Fancy, with all the distress there is just now. Home hints. Don't throw away a favourite hasp because you think its day is over. Wash it in a solution of water and gum and lay it flat on the kitchen dresser. Stuff the crown with soft paper and stand four flat irons on the brim, but clean the irons well first with brick dust and ammonia. The hat will then be a very nice new shape. Here's a recipe for apple shortcake, Kate. I shall cut that out for Florence. "'Dear me, how late it gets. "'We must all get to our day's work. "'Have you heard news from your mother, Alex, dear?' "'Yes.' "'Alex had two letters before her. "'Mother writes from Athens. "'She's been interviewing Tino, "'don't know how she managed it, "'trying to get him to sit on a council "'for continuous mediation without armistice. "'I gather Tino thinks it's a jolly sound plan in theory, "'but isn't having any in practice.' That's the position of most of the neutral governments, apparently. As none of the family knew what continuous mediation without armistice meant, 
the only comment forthcoming was from Mrs. Frampton. "'Your mother is a very wonderful person. "'I only hope she isn't getting over-tired "'going about as much as she does. "'You've had some news from the front, too, haven't you?' "'Yes,' said Alex. "'A friend of mine has just got wounded. "'He's being sent home. "'Oh, my dear, how unfortunate. "'Not seriously, I trust. "'No, I shouldn't think so. "'A nice blighty one in the hand,' he says.' He seems quite cheery about it. He tried to return a bomb to the senders, and it went off just before its proper time. It happens often, he says. It must be difficult to calculate about these time bombs. A dreadful risk to take, indeed. It's his left, I suppose, as he writes. He dictated it. No, not his left. The right? Dear me, now, how sad that is. It so hampers a man. "'What used he to work at, love?' "'He paints.' "'Well, now, isn't that a pity? "'He must learn to paint left-handed when the war's over, mustn't he? "'But I hope his hand will be quite well again long before then. "'It's given you quite a shock, dearie, I can see. "'You've gone quite pale. "'Would you like a little sal volatile? "'No, thank you, Cousin Emily. "'It's not given me a shock a bit. "'Do you want me to do the lamps, Kate?' "'Well, I don't know why you should. "'Eve's nothing to do this morning.' "'Kate looked doubtfully at her sister, who said promptly, "'Oh, hasn't she? That's all you know. "'I'm for cutting out morning. "'Thanks muchly, Alex. "'I'll do the dusting if you'll do the lamps.' Four. "'Kate retired to domestic duties in the back regions. "'Evie, before doing the dusting, "'took up the daily message and glanced through the feuilleton. It had been the same feuilleton for many weeks. It was always headed by a synopsis and a list of characters. John Hargreave, a strong, quiet man of deep feeling, to whom anything underhand is abhorrent. Valerie Lascelles, a beautiful girl of nineteen who loves John. Sylvia, her sister, exactly like Valerie in face, but not in character, for she is shallow and hard and lives abroad, the widow of a foreign count. Cyril Arbuthnot, a smart man about town, unscrupulous in his methods, who sticks at nothing. No wonder Evie found it interesting. Then she flicked competently round the drawing-room with a duster, calling to Florence to clear away quick, because she wanted the table for cutting out. Alex did the lamps in the pantry. Mrs. Frampton did accounts and wrote to Aunt Nellie in the dining-room. Florence cleared away, also in the dining-room. Kate looked in in her hat and coat with the little red books that come from shops on a Saturday morning. "'I'd better get in a new tongue, I suppose, mother. The one we have will scarcely be sufficient for Sunday. Yes, dear, get one of the large ones.' Kate went bill-paying. Evie extracted incomprehensibly shaped pieces of brown paper from the pages of home chat a weekly periodical which she took in, and began her cutting out morning. Alex returned from the lamps and said, "'I'm going out for the day with some people. I may go on to Nicholas in the evening, very likely.' It may or may not have been before mentioned that Alex had a brother of that name. "'Very well, dear. Bring your brother or some of your friends back with you afterwards, if you like. I'm sure it would be very nice if they stopped to supper.' "'Our supper's simple, but there's always plenty for all, "'and the Vinnies are coming round afterwards, 
so we shall be a nice party. I asked them because they've got that cousin Miss Simon staying with them, and I thought they'd be glad of an evening's change for her. That fatty in a sailor blouse, Evie, who observed clothes, commented, I should think they'd be glad of a change from her. She's a suffragette and talks the weirdest stuff. She's as good as a play to listen to. I shouldn't think your brother would get on with the Vinnies a bit, Alex. Probably not, said Alex. He doesn't with most people. Evie looked as if she shouldn't think he did. "'What's the name of that new floor polish to tell Aunt Nellie?' said Mrs. Frampton, pausing in her letter. But as Kate was out, and it was neither Roanoke nor Cherry Blossom, suggestions of unequal levels of intelligence from Evie and Alex, she had to leave a space for it. End of chapter 4